Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. A couple of weeks ago, we kicked off our episode learning about Mark Auger's concept of so-called non-places. And so, sticking with that scholastic theme, I want to begin today by chatting about the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, otherwise known as frequency illusion. The term relates to a kind of cognitive bias, wherein we tend to see something much more often after noticing it for a first time, which can lead to the belief that said thing being noticed has increased in frequency or become more common. For me, this phenomenon seems to ring true for the Army and Navy cocktail. This orgeat sweetened gin sour is the kind of drink that's often hiding out there in plain sight. Camouflaged, if you'll allow me that particular indulgence. The Army and Navy features on a surprising number of menus, especially when you consider its relative anonymity as a classic. But you'll probably pass over it a dozen or so times until you order it for the first time, at which point something of a healthy obsession can kick in, as it did for today's guest. Ben Brown, the beverage director of New York's Porchlight. Ben joins us today to break down the shaken gin category of cocktails and explain how to construct a perfectly balanced sour, especially when orgeat, homemade or otherwise, is part of the equation. It's another curmudgeonly embry take, and folks, please don't mention the regal shake. It's the Army and Navy cocktail, and it's all right here on the Cocktail College Podcast. We're in the podcast studio today. It's Ben Brown joining us. Ben, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you in the studio. I want to say this is the first time where we've had someone in the studio who is now currently taking over the role or has recently taken over the role of another one of our previous guests. That would be, um, of course, Nicholas Bennett there um, and you yourself at Porchlight. Nick covered the Long Island iced tea with us. Of course. <laughs> Today, we're going to go slightly more classic. It's the Army and Navy. Oh, yeah. No love for the uh, Air Force? <laughs> of course. Supporter <laughs> troops and all of that. But yes, of course. Whether yeah. or not it's actually linked to that is kind of the interesting thing. And yeah. yeah <laughs> no exactly. It's one of those drinks where you got the name. There is a history. There's a possibly a history at least. Well, there is a history because the drink exists, right? But there may or may not be a known history for this drink. But before we get into that, for those who aren't familiar, because I'm going to put this in that category of quote unquote classics, but definitely not in the lexicon of most drinkers. So for those folks, what's in this drink? What is this drink? So a classic Army-Navy consists of a London dry gin, lemon juice, orgeat, and Angostura bitters. Mm -hmm. Shaken, served up. Shaken, so kind of sour-ish template without an egg white. Exactly. So it's the gin sour, pretty much gin, lemon, Mm -hmm. uh, sugar, in this case, the orgeat almond syrup with the addition of Angostura bitters as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. Immediately, there's a lot of stuff I want to get into there. And we're, and we're going to do it when it comes to those ingredients and how they come together and whether that's classical or not and what kind of category that comes into. But yeah, we mentioned some some murky beginnings for this drink. Uh, what can you tell us today about the history of the Army and Navy? So in my research, I have discovered that the drink itself was first published in 1948, the David Embry um, How to Mix Drinks, I believe is the title. 
but that consisted of <laughs> his recipe was two parts uh, gin, one part lemon, one part orgeat, not including the Angostura bitters, and went to say that this uh, recipe is trash um, <laughs> and that he preferred um, an eight to eight parts gin to I believe it was two parts citrus, one part orgeat. So it would be about two ounces probably of gin, half an ounce of citrus and a quarter ounce of orgeat. That is exactly it. I had written <laughs> that down to here as well. Embry yeah. um, true to form, just unhappy, contrarian take. I do enjoy that about his writing, but I feel like I don't always know. All right, before I say this, have you tried Embry's version of the drink? I have not. I can I can imagine what something like that is <laughs> like. I, as a bartender, you're constantly tasting like the drink as it progresses mm-hmm. through, especially when you're first starting out. Um, a certain amount of citrus to a certain amount of spirit, or the introduction of the the sugar component mm-hmm. as well. So I can just imagine that's the super dry, it's not super balanced dry, Not balanced, not good, which does lead me to, to, to believe that Embry is somewhat being just, you know, contrarian for the sake of it there. Yeah. Um, I, well, I mean, uh, as was potentially the style at the time, like mm-hmm. just drinking a spirit meat was maybe a, a sign of virility, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I know in my experience as well, like working in places in Midtown, if someone asked for a martini, I was taught to just shake three ounces of uh, <laughs> uh, spirit and call it a day, never mm-hmm. booth or anything. So, um, so whatever whatever the audience mm-hmm. is after mm-hmm. or your personal tastes, maybe. We'll... So I want to get back to Embry in a second here uh, and that book and also that spec. But before we do, that's the first record of this drink being recorded in, in written text. There are some suggestions out there that it, either its name derives from some other things or or where its name derives from and also that it might have been created to celebrate other things. You want to chat about some of those or, or, or kind of speculate on those? Sure. Um, so the name itself could derive from the Army and Navy Club, an officer's club in Washington, D.C., um, Another another story goes that it was to commemorate the Army and Navy football game, and it could very well have happened in the same place, of course. And that's in that's the, it. That, that's pretty much <laughs> it. So David ran around DC at one point, wrote down this recipe, and it mm-hmm. could be in him partying at the Army Navy game. So the classic spec, uh, I think you mentioned there beforehand, is as he writes in the book too, as well as you know, two parts gin to one part each of the other components. Well, at least the citrus and the orgeat. Some suggestions out there that maybe though those other components are kind of dialed up because the quality of gin at the time, especially before Emery, you know, further back in history, might not have been so hot. So therefore, you're 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 kind of masking some of the flavor of a bad spirit with sour citrus and and, and sweet, you know, orgeat. Certainly, I think that. The idea of a cocktail um, for many stems from the fact that they don't want to taste the thing that's um, that they're imbibing. They just want to get the effects <laughs> of it all, of course. So I think there is per- perhaps it's him uh, preferring the the higher gin to sugar and citrus components um, is him speaking to well the quality of spirits are maybe getting a little bit better, guys. So let's yeah. let's let's do it this way mm-hmm. kind of thing, but. Um, Ultimately, I think if you have 
a beautiful spirit and you're balancing it out, whether it's two parts to one to one or my preferred is two, three quarter, three quarter, kind of like a great mm -hmm. daiquiri spec, which is relative of the Army and Navy, of course. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And I'm glad you point that out, too, because that's another thing that I wanted to mention when it comes to this, you know, the classic ratio and then maybe how that will have evolved um, Embry's version. But do you feel like, I don't know, I feel like if I ask a lot of bartenders these days to make this drink and they're quite familiar with it, I do wonder whether I'm more likely to encounter a two, one, three quarters with a three quarters being the orgeat kind of similar to it to a daiquiri or whatnot i don't know whether this is personal preference or i don't know whether it's it, it it's one of those things that's more exclusive to bartenders but i do think that the sour build oftentimes these days is very bracing and very sour so i like that you're going two three quarter three quarter but is that something you've experienced do you think do, is that is that way off the mark there um i'm not sure i feel like the amount of, like, I've, I've tasted a fair many of Army Navies around, and I, I think the balance is pretty, it's right around two, one, mm -hmm. three quarter um, to me, with a couple of dashes of Angostura. Probably also depends as well on, on what ingredients you're sure. using, right? Like, if it's rich, simple, or also if you're, you know, depending on what the, the orgeat's like that you're using, and we'll get into that in a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I find that pretty much... The, the sours that I'm tasting these days are to my liking, which is a pretty classic mm -hmm. daiquiri nice. um, recipe. That's, that's 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 the spec I go with too. So I'm I'm glad we're on the same page on that one. Yeah. Another one here, just before we we, we look at maybe um, this this cocktail standing in in the modern front on the modern side of things in the modern bar world, shaken gin drinks. They're they're a mixed bunch, right? Because you know you have the classic gin fizz and the Ramos gin fizz and things like that, which are a spectacle, probably not called for a lot these days. Then you have, you know, like the, the last word construction and, and all the wonderful things that comes with that, the Corpse Reviver number two. But the gin kind of as a sour component, I feel like there aren't that many constructions of, of that type of drink. And is that just a reflection that classic London dry maybe doesn't lend itself to, to those other fruitier components always or is it more like the gin can easily get lost compared to other spirits or is it just just one of those things? I think to me when I when I first started bartending okay um, someone handed me the um, or told me to get the app for the um, the milk and honey that has all the recipes in there and I was going through and I was like, man, there's a crap load of recipes in here. How am I ever going to remember it? And then kind of realizing that they're all kind of different kind of gimlet variations with dashes here. So gin sour with lime juice, of course, and a gimlet. And then add a couple of dashes of uh, Angostura and you got yourself a Bennett, which is a newer drink. Um, but that kind of just tickled me. And I was like, oh, like I'm going to go through and I will kind of learn the subtleties of what a little nuance can do here or there. Um, but to what you're saying, yeah, there's, there's there's not a heck of a lot out there. And I think when I kind of personally stumbled upon the Army-Navy early on in my bartending career, I was kind of opened a lot of things up because here's this kind of more ingredient that's associated with tiki culture and, of course, rum being the main spirit of choice. But to me, having something that's already inherently containing botanicals and different citrus notes in it 
whether it's a Plymouth style or London dry new world. Um, I thought to me, well, it just makes sense to have this as a base. So kind of, um, just my affinity for it kind of inspired different cocktail variations that I've, I've come up with. So I see limitless possibilities <laughs> in the future. And, and, and do you recall the first time you came across this one? Would it have been in that milk and honey kind of, you know, recipe list or would it have been somewhere else? So my memory is a little fuzzy regarding my first <laughs> Army Navy, which is kind of sad because I can remember a lot of my, my first when it comes to cocktails. Um, but it would have been around 2015, 16. Um, I remember we had a macadamia orgeat at the time and one of uh, Nick's drinks, the little rye whiskey Cointreau, kind of Mai Tai-ish variation. But I think I took the, the macadamia nut orgeat and it was my first time really experiencing any sort of orgeat, not the more commonly found yeah. almond base. Um, and I was like, hey, this, is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was something I was messing around um, when no one was watching. I was like, oh, Army Navy, sign me up <laughs> on a Monday morning or something. <laughs> Beats opening your computer and answering emails, I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> um, no, that's interesting. And then, And then to the other point I had earlier, though, just about like, Look, is this a drink that is at all getting cold out or not really? Or if it's not, in what scenario are you maybe recommending it to folks who have asked for something, say, I like this, but I want to try something new? I think in many, many occasions, whether it's because it's one of my just favorite drinks, that's like kind of a, a watershed moment in terms of my discovery of new cocktails. Um, I find it's really, it's not even, it's not seasonal. It's all the time. For me, um, I find that a nice daiquiri or something is another one that you could say, well, of course, it's you can enjoy it <laughs> great by a beach. Um, but it also is just uh, very comforting in the, the colder weather months as well. So, yeah, in a similar way, I think the, the Army Navy is, um, is a delight throughout. I think the warming spice notes from the Angostura kind of tickle in and yeah. um, soothe. <laughs> but um, the cool thing about it is the way that the, the citrus acting as the sour component and then the, the orgeat itself kind of is the the thing that <laughs> is really cool. And you're trying to figure out like, wow, man, this can pretty much go with everything, whether it's a cup of coffee or just like any <laughs> sort of spirit, really. I think it can work well in the lighter spirits. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I prefer it more in that way. But I think you, you could enjoy it, of course, with like a darker, mm -hmm. big bodied Jamaican rum or something as well. But that being said, I think the, the citrus is uh, those notes and the botanicals are, are the uh, anchoring, I guess, suppose, um, quality of the drink. Kind of like um, the backbone for the whole thing. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about the Army and Navy for me, specifically, you know, having this conversation today is that this is one of those ones where, you know, we're constantly building up our, our recipe database here on VinePair. And um, that does include like adding some classics that we might have missed first time around, you know, obviously. And, and that's why I kind of put this in that category of it's like it should be a drink, you know, especially if you're in the profession, but maybe it's not the first that comes to mind. And so we had a lot of fun. Like, obviously, our process for that is always let's look at the classic recipe. Let's try it out. Let's try it out with, you know, classic. And we don't want to veer from the classics, but sometimes you're like, look, this doesn't quite work for modern specs and this isn't what we would want someone to come away from fine pair and be like 
making this cocktail. Oh my God, that sucks, right? <laughs> you know, because maybe we ended up, you know, printing Embry's recipe or whatever, right? Yeah. So this is one that we worked on recently. So I've had the good fortune of like tasting multiple different specs on this, which of course I should try and do before every show. But this this is one. So I'm looking forward to getting into that on an ingredient by ingredient basis. I have some questions for you on Orjat. I can't wait to get into the bitter section of this too, because I think it all comes into like, where do you want the profile of this drink to be? But it does begin with the two ounces of gin, as you said. You said it's classically a London dry drink because that's what also would have been available at the time. You've mentioned Plymouth. Are those still the best style of gins for this drink, given that we do have this whole new world of new Western, new American, and and all around the world? Sure. Um, that's I, I think that's the cool thing. And we're, of course, very fortunate to live in, in a time where a lot of new gins are just, it's not just juniper forward. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what uh, highlighting some different botanicals for a change do. Um, so in my experimentation, I've also found that something like a Dorothy Parker is a fun one, super floral going on there. And that kind of balancing with the almondy orgeat um, as well as a, a fun new experience while subtle in the drink. It's, um, I couldn't say that there's any one that is the, the go-to for it, but I think in terms of just my experience, and this is um, <laughs> my first um, uh, going back, hearkening to that, mm-hmm. I would say that a London Dry like, is just is the, warm is the to me. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, me personally, I like to stick to uh, London Dry, especially for the classics too, but... Yeah, when we are introducing some of those other ingredients we have in this one, I'm like, all right, maybe this is one where I'll consider them. Um, I think of other, well, you, again, you mentioned Plymouth, which maybe is like a beautiful sweet spot between the two, maybe a little bit more citrusy than London Dry, but not quite as full on as um, some of those other styles. Another one I do love, and it was one of the gins that legitimately got me into gin was, was you know, um, Suntory's Roku. Uh, very citrusy, but do you worry about the ABV of that gin for this cocktail? Because I want to say it's pretty low for gin. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's 40. Yeah, I think I'm it might be sure. 40. So, yeah, I think that having just, for me, I think the, the higher alcohol in any whatever cocktail you're mixing, I think is a great, very important factor in that, in that you're getting what the base spirit is. But I think in this one as well, you're going to need something that's probably 43 to 45. And if you want to take it, up to the 50s go for it <laughs> that's great i don't know how many you can <laughs> last through but well you know you can stay within the the new york distilling co family there sure and uh and reach past the uh, dorothy parker and go for perry's taunt i believe it's oh, called the navy absolutely. strength i don't know man uh, you know maybe the navy part of this also is some kind of reference to the gin being included in it that being classically a, a navy ration at least for the sure. other side of the pond for sure I don't know where the army comes in with the citrus and orange hat, and I don't really think I want to explore that right now. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know, my gin. So maybe a Navy strength, I'd like to try a Navy strength army and Navy. So guess have what you, I'm saying have, here. Have you tried the, the Fords, um, the Admiral's Reserve? I I have, yeah. I have a bottle of that at home and, and actually made some drinks with it recently. And I don't know, maybe this is my, only my perception, but I felt like I was getting a lot more like kind of angelica and licorice and things like that on that that I really don't get from classic Fords, but that's maybe 
that thing has seen some time in barrel as well, right? Yeah, it's the the sherry cask, I believe, which I I think that could be. I haven't tried it, but I think that would be delightful mm-hmm. in an army navy. Yeah, and especially when we're shaking here um, and no other alcoholic components. Like, yeah, maybe that's. I've been trying to figure out what I'm using that bottle for, so thank you for inspiring me with that one. Yeah. One more general question on gin and porch light before we move on to some other ingredients. We're speaking about how this category is so diverse now. Obviously, from running a bar point of view, you have your well, but for certain drinks, there might be better candidates. Typically on a menu, like how many gins will be on your rotation for drinks that are like actually on the menu not that you have behind the bar and you can call to people say they might want to have this gin for their martini instead of that one like how many might you have um i'm thinking right now in our well we have three at the moment and they all kind of serve a different purpose um one for gin and tonics we'll use the colorado um spring 44 and then we have a cool kind of Mai Tai, yet almost Army-Navy cocktail. Um, guess who created that one? Um, <laughs> and that one has the Bombay dry gin. Um, and then we have, I guess it's just those two actually mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, That Bombay dry, I feel like slept on a little. Yeah. I mean, with the introduction of Bombay Sapphire as well, um, at the time when that came out, which I believe was the late 80s or so, I think, people were looking for something maybe that wasn't as yeah. punchy in your face, juniper forward. So in that kind of palettes shifting to more citrusy. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the journey I went through myself. I yeah. mentioned Roku earlier, right? Like without that, I don't know whether I'd be as much of a gin lover as I am today. And like without Sapphire, gin as a category is and definitely probably isn't where it is today. You know, Sapphire, Hendrix, those kind of early leaders we've spoken about this on the show a lot but just like those two gins and some others really changing the category over this side of things you talk about uh, aviation too and you know sure. the journey that's gone on yeah and hendrix as well i mm-hmm. we we keep that in our well because it's so frequently called on we're yeah. not gonna walk all the way to the back bar and get it it's like <laughs> yeah. just keep it right there right keep down it nice there. and close so yeah i think with that kind of shifting of styles we're now at a place where it's like okay cool i guess it didn't have to just be a a london dry or an old tom or something like we're taking it to yeah another planets that's cool yeah before we do move on from bombay probably would be remiss of me not to mention as well that they do have that new one i think it's mercian um Mm -hmm. the lemon one yeah the uh premier yes would probably be a great candidate for this as well for sure um would like to try that one uh, and, and and speaking of that, that is because our next component that we're going to go through is lemon here. I say we're about 93 episodes into this this show already. And I like to approach each one with equal opportunities. I want to give people the opportunity to say the things they want about the ingredients, even if that might be something like citrus that we have covered. So, Ben, what are you bringing to the table today about citrus and lemon? We've spoken about is the, the citrus we're using for this one. What do you want to tell us about lemon today, Ben? So I think, of course, the importance of a freshly juiced lemon is is a must. Um, and when I say freshly juiced, I think that within um, a 36-hour uh, time period, uh, that's something that really needs to happen. Otherwise, you're kind of, you're not doing yourself any favors. <laughs> um, I think that when I first started bartending, it was with, we were ordering, you know, frozen citrus, um, not juicing. And... Once 
a couple years pass and then I'm starting to learn about the bartending community and someone is saying, oh, we should be juicing fresh. Like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. So I think like in the time of me coming up in the world, uh, I, I've seen both sides of it. And mm -hmm. uh, I think we came out on the right side <laughs> in terms of uh, across New York City now it being kind of, it's just expected. It's expected, yeah. <laughs> well, unless you're going, you know, fully further down the kind of super juice path, which, you know, is a whole other thing entirely. If I can play devil's advocate for a second, though, if I'm juicing fresh lemons and then if I were to maybe, I don't know, portion them up in one ounces or half an ounce or whatever, cubes, and then freeze them, if I then take out one you know, take out a couple for service or whatever. Is that losing quality? And if so, why? I can't say how much acidity is lost over time um, in terms of freezing, but I think part of it is the, you know, you're using something that's fresh and you're, yeah. this is your product. <laughs> yeah. So if you're yeah. selling somebody something for $17 <laughs> on a cocktail menu, I think it would be, yeah. It's something that you wanna wanna do. But yeah, I think that's that's a great question for Dave Arnold. <laughs> and I'm sure that he already knows the answer. And I think I, well, also like to your point, it's true. It seems very counterintuitive. You're making something fresh, then you're freezing it to then use it again fresh. Like it seems like one step too many and overcomplicating lives, but then there's other considerations. What does your freezer smell like? How tightly are you packing these things in? Blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I just wanted to consider whether there is actually a kind of noticeable change in the profile of something because of that freezing process. I'm sure there probably is a slight one. Yeah. And I think if you're, whether you're a high volume cocktail bar that's juicing 10 quarts of lemon a day um, and then perhaps not going through it, um, citrus is not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're juicing a quart of it, it's upwards of 30 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot. Buying citrus wholesale. Um, and it, it adds up from mm -hmm. <laughs> period to period, <laughs> as I've noticed. So I'm going to get back to you in a month. Yeah. Um, Do a I'm little gonna, experiment I'm gonna, there. I'm going to freeze some citrus. And, um, and then I'll also have my waste log going as well and tell you how much <laughs> <laughs> we're losing. Because I guess the other thing, I, what really made me think about that as well is you, t you spoke about like starting out and, and seeing frozen citrus coming in, which isn't something I maybe experienced myself. I consider more like the A, the sour mix being the worst or B, pasteurized and the many bad forms that can take on. But um, yeah, I hadn't come across frozen. So it did make me think, oh, yeah, a little hack we can do. So I think that would be a step up, of course, from sour mix. And that's kind of where uh, the industry was at, at the time. They said, well, we're not necessarily going to invest this much in going to the market and getting fresh <laughs> citrus every day. But this frozen <laughs> stuff from Florida is pretty cool and <laughs> not breaking the bank. And they can obviously produce it at a much larger scale, get their margins down. Yep, yep. Uh, well, good. We did it. 93 or so episodes in. There we go. We're still we're still banging out fresh knowledge on citrus. Yes. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, Orgeat. You mentioned macadamia earlier. That was how you came across the ingredient, but also maybe, you know, early interactions with this drink. Are you going classical almond, though, for, for your Army Navy, or are you perhaps doing something different like that? Currently, on the menu, it is still an almond or a shot. I think in the past we were actually we had multiple at one time where we had um, 
not just macadamia, but we had a, a cashew, I believe the pistachio mm-hmm. as well. I've encountered the avocado um, pit as well in the trash tiki. Um, I tried it myself. It didn't. I must have been doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we had an avocado restaurant next to us. And I was like, oh, this would be cool for, you know, this, you're throwing these stuff out. We'll make a syrup out of it. I tried growing a tree at one once. I couldn't even get the root to come out of the things. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think in terms of uh, sustainability these days, I think it's important to kind of take that into account and not just say, well, almonds, they've been using those for hundreds of years so that's that's how we're going to do things mm-hmm. i think there's something to be said for the flavor of course almonds are delicious but at the end of the day if you're using some other form to make your arjat then and are you guys making your own or are you are you buying those we make our own yes you make your own? yeah we do an almond milk and then um add sugar to that as well as um a little bit of Ray and Nephew, mm-hmm. um, fortify, but also just for fun because we love Ray and Nephew. <laughs> <laughs> and then a little bit of uh, orange blossom water. I mean, well. this shouldn't this shouldn't surprise me, given that you know we had Nick on, as I mentioned earlier, and we're talking about making his own Coke for the Long Island iced tea. So I should not be surprised here that we're you know that we're doing that. We're making our own uh, making our own orgeat. But you kind of flew over it a little bit there. You said almond milk. So can you maybe, you know, you mentioned some of the ingredients there, but can you talk us through the process briefly of what that looks like and um, yeah, pros and cons of it? Sure. So uh, we do, we buy our almonds, um, usually already pre, pre-sliced. Um, recently, actually, we and we got some whole almonds as well. So I was like, of course, we're not going to throw these out. We're going to make some arjot out of it. Um, so I think the, the difference in terms of if you're using whole almonds or already pre-sliced ones, um, but you get a little bit more body with the, with the whole almond as well. But anywho, so you take your almonds, put them on a nice sheet tray, um, and we give them, we give them a toast. Um, I've, I've seen it done both ways. I think I, I like the toasty quality of it. And then they'll let that cool for a little, a little. and then, um, use a RoboCoup. You could also use a any sort of blender just to chop them up a little bit while still retaining some of the body to those and then add a measure of water just enough to cover it and let that soak for about eight hours but typically that'll just be an overnight so that'll give the mixture some character to it and that almond flavor that you're ever so after at which point then you'll add um your sugar to it as well and very nephew <laughs> I missed it before. If we're making an almond milk, you can make it. You can introduce the sugar to it if you have your um, almond still in there. But we'll actually use um, the cheesecloth to strain out that. Got it. Remove the the almonds Solids, from it, yeah. and, and then we'll add the, the sugar. In the... And how long will that last? Typically. Typically, we did a we did a big batch because um, we were just flying through it to so many Army navies. <laughs> um, really, and uh, typically about uh, about two two weeks or so, I'll say. Um, I think four weeks is if you're making it at home. That's uh, that's fine. the The point, of course, of the Ray and Nephew is to help fortify it and prevent um, any sort of oxidation from happening, mm-hmm. so or any fungi from getting in there. But nice. I think about four weeks is that seems. A lot easier than I'd ever imagined making orgeat would be. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the reason why you don't see as the uh, as much of a, a history with it. Um, even though um, with the popularity of almond milk too, 
I think, sure, you could buy almond milk at the store as well and add some sugar to it. Feel free to experiment with that. I think <laughs> using uh, you know, using um, fresh almonds is would behoove one. But Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right, then bitters, final component of this drink. Angostura classically. Sure. Is that where your head goes as well? Yeah. I I think in terms of like, okay, I start out with a drink and it's... 65% of the time was because the Army Navy is still rattling around there and I want to do something that's uh, in a lineage to that. Um, I think Angostura or really any sort of uh, aromatic bitters, there's the, the bitter truth ones um, would work nicely. I think in it, uh, the first published Orjat cocktail, I believe was the, the Japanese cocktail, so brandy, Orjat, um, and I believe it was they were using Boker's bitters as well so certainly an aromatic component to that in the moment i'm blanking on what the made boker's distinct sort of bitters it might have been cardamom that is one i'm not sure of either um but anywho I, bitters that was very popular and mm-hmm. when jerry thomas was writing and it's in tons and tons of recipes and then i, I guess around prohibition um stopped producing recently in the past 20 years or so someone found a, a bottle or something and they were able to go back and figure <laughs> out how to get there. Um, so they are, they're being made now and it's I, I, perhaps the same as they um, once were produced in the 19th century. Um, but anywho, for the Army Navy, I think any sort of uh, aromatic bitters aromatic. would work uh, as well. Um, I think absinthe is a cool kind of direction to take it in. Um, are you washing the glass with that or you, maybe could, doing a little, or maybe just shaking it up with that in there i think you could rinse it you could add a dash in there and uh shake the whole whole thing um i've done both experience like the corp survivor of course i think i've seen it written both ways a couple dashes or a rinse of the glass being the more popular of the two um but for for all those uh punchy aromatic fans i think the more the more the better (laughs) (laughs) All um, right, you you took us down that road, so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna add one here. Uh, tell me I'm a crazy lunatic, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, chartreuse vegetal. Mm. You tried that? Yeah. I think that would be a good little elixir to add. Just you went absinthe, and I'm like, what do you add? Small dashes of that might take this in a kind of weird direction, or is that going to be too astringent? I think you should start, one would start with a rinse. I've seen I, I, on menus recently, I've been seeing it more. Um, I, I can see the bartender doing a rinse on the, the glass, but we'll see. I feel like I had a lot to do today, and now I'm only going to go to work and try and experiment <laughs> with these. Do you have that chartreuse vegetable? We yeah, do, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty widely available yeah, at this yeah. point, too, even with the chartreuse shortage. Maybe they just want us to drink the... <laughs> That's the whole thing, right? They're like, <laughs> I don't know whether this is calculated, but that's the thing, right? There's no, It's very difficult to get hold of yellow and green chartreuse at the moment. The vegetable's out there. You're just using it in small drops. It's fun. I yeah. don't think it's a replacement for chartreuse, is it? But like, it's, hey, it's chartreuse and that carries cachet at the moment. So it's the, the, the original recipe. So it, it's told. the original recipe as well, yeah. right? They, they used to carry it around people hiking. I don't know. It's some kind of elixir. It's great for long walks. The great yeah. for <laughs> starting to sound like a dating profile. This one now, but check it out. <laughs> uh, I mentioned earlier that we were playing around with the specs on this one, and 
particularly when it came to, yeah, okay, the balance between citrus and orgeat compared to the gin, right? But particularly when it came to the bitters and just in terms of how much presence you want that to have in the drink. Because I think, obviously, Angostura is potent, but the difference between one and three or one and even two dashes in this, I think it really does. You start to see that scale and it really changes the drink a lot. Sure. How much presence do you want to have Ango to have or, or your bitters to have in this drink? Yeah, I mean, you're using it as a more of a lifting agent, I think, in the, the case of the Army-Navy. Um, you're trying to enhance the botanicals, of course. Um, you're adding a fun color to it. Great. Um, but with the, the way that it's working with the Orjat, as well um it's bringing out those kind of darker nutty qualities um whilst also bringing in those cinnamon clove notes as well so i think to keep those all those things in in harmony um i think probably no more than two dashes is the way i've seen a lot of recipes with just one dash i've seen no dashes which then it's just not an army navy. <laughs> See, just the introduction of one little thing. Yeah, it's a completely different drink. To that point as well, that one need only head over to Google, Google Images specifically. Yeah. First of all, they should actually search the word bartender because I believe for many years <laughs> the image, the first image that would come up was himself, Nick Bennett. Yes. Yeah, that was, I mean, I want to say it was in the, at least in the past year or so. At but least just in the past year. Smiling away. And I think <laughs> I just, I remember the first time I walked into Porchlight and it was like some, it was a Monday afternoon and it was very slow and it was just him probably in that picture. I can just always see him <laughs> just with his mustache. And mustache. Like, we want to say he's wearing a waistcoat or, or, or suspenders at least. It was one our of the old two. uniform. Yeah, it was the one <laughs> with the, the Henley and the, um, yeah. and the apron, yeah. But anyway, after doing so, <laughs> um, just a fun little detail there. Search the Army and Navy in images because the contrast in shades of this drink that you'll see is is quite surprising. And obviously that does come from the Ango, right? Like the, the other three ingredients are fairly similar in whatever, right? You know, like they're, they're always going to produce a fairly kind of bland-ish color. But yeah, those bitters really can change it and does show just how kind of crazy people are getting with that addition. Yeah, I mean, like there's a reason that the bitters were written down in the recipe and the same goes for something like a Manhattan too, where it's like just a tiny little thing, but it's doing a lot of work to bring those things together. So, I mean, if you, for example, for a Manhattan, if you just have your vermouth and your whiskey together, like one could say that's a, that's a, that's a drink. It's not particularly good, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it just becomes something else entirely. So never, never sleep on mm -hmm. Angostura. So final one on, on this point here, because we're going down that road, so might as well. Why do you think that it's no longer a standard for some form of bitters to be used in the martini, given that bitters are a necessary, they're a requirement for something classically to be considered a cocktail and orange bitters work so well? How come that's fallen out of favor? Because to your point, yeah, whiskey and vermouth, great drink, but nowhere near as good as with the bitters. Sure. Um, I, I think a martini, of course, with a little bit of orange bitters is yeah, it's one of the great delights of this world. Um, 
I I think also just having o- over time, if you're training your palate, if your grandfather or someone you saw him just like putting these couple things together, like one, it's like, oh, this is like that's so cool. That's something that they did, and you're just like, I'm just gonna recreate that, and that's you don't know of a world where the, the drink itself existed with with bitters. So mm-hmm. it's just it it is what it is, I suppose. <laughs> and then of course, if you have your a, a dirty martini, of course you don't. That that gets a little weird. Um, for me, too, a dirty gin martini. I don't want to upset folks, but I, I I can't get into a dirty gin martini. I love a dirty vodka martini for sure, but the interaction of uh, the citrus of the gin with the the savory olive kind of just grosses nah. me out. If you want that, bring an olive into the garnish. So I think the same thing goes with just if you're yeah. boosting the 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 fruitiness uh, in there, it's just gonna get pretty far out with a dirty one speaks to what you said earlier i guess too like you know at a certain era you know a martini was essentially three ounces of spirit shaken or maybe stirred that's it you serve it. it's done right like that's how far the martini went it's come back now so there we go just something i considered all right so you have this drink on the menu can you walk us through your preparation and build of this drink now as if you were making it in the bar and including recipe and specs um, sure. So any of the bartenders that work at Porchlight right now, you're finding out in real time that I've changed the Army Navy recipe. <laughs> um, we were we were closed for renovations this past week, so I took it to um, make some adjustments to some of our classic recipes. Nice. Um, Exclusive here. Yeah. So building an Army Navy, um, you take your shaker tin, introduce two, not four, as was once written. <laughs> at Forge Light. Two dashes of uh, Angostura bitters. We'll take our citrus and we'll introduce three quarter ounces of that, followed by three quarter ounces of Orgeat, and then two ounces of a London dry gin. Um, preferably Beef Eater, Beef Eater 24, or Bombay Dry. I had one with Ford's last night as well, and it was, it was divine. Banging. Uh, introduce some. Uh, cold draft ice cubes, shake for eight to ten seconds, and then uh, strain with a hawthorn. Served up in a coop. Up in a coop. Garnish-wise? No garnish. No garnish. Unnecessary. Nice. I like that because I think it's harder to serve a drink without a garnish. It's harder to settle up on a recipe without a garnish than it is with one. Yeah. I think if, you, if you're experiencing the, the joys of an Army-Navy um, and you're you're tooling around and you're thinking, oh, well, what could make this even better? You'll kind of find that I'm, I've already achieved perfection. So why would I why would I put a twist on there? Um, I'm not going to put a citrus wheel or a wedge or anything like that because that's kind of um, pointing the guests in the directions. Like, oh, I need to interact with this and do something with it. Um, not just have this thing sitting there like looking pretty. In the same way with a margarita, too, if you have a recipe where you're not adding all the citrus, so it makes sense to probably put a wedge on there. But if you already say this is a great drink and I'm putting a citrus wedge on there, a lime wedge, then it's kind of confusing to the, the guests because I think the first reaction is like, oh, I'm supposed to do something with this. Yeah. So I think with the Army-Navy and um, not all up shaking cocktails because there's a lot of twists and things that'll go in there but same with the daiquiri no no garnish necessary not needed love it ben any final thoughts on the army and navy today before we move into our five weekly recurring questions um i 
should add, I, I didn't mention it earlier, but the origins of Orgeat was kind of this, um, originally was a uh, barley water oil kind of emulsion. Um, I saw this on the internet. <laughs> and uh, someone said, that's like, oh, this recipe is from uh, the 14th century. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but then I saw a recipe for a, um, a, a lemonade from the 19th century. And that was with the barley water with a touch of almond as well. Um, so I guess over time by the 19th century and into the, um, by the, uh, uh, like before, presumably, um, the 1862 Japanese cocktail recipe, it just became all almonds. Um, the idea of having a barley water is like, oh, I got this cool thing that kind of tastes like something. It's not just water, it's <laughs> barley water. Um, and then over time, it just becoming what the the supporting character was. And it's just, now it's just an almond um, syrup. It certainly sounds more economical. Yeah. <laughs> the barley one. <laughs> yeah, right, with just a hint of almonds. Oh, but it just tastes so good if it's all. Yeah, it, it really does, yeah. But uh, ah, malted barley water? I'm trying to think, you know, how does this become sweet? Of, of of course, we're using that wonderful ingredient for fermentable sugars, for beer and, and whiskey and all those good things. So um, must be there must be some sweetness there. I don't know. Yeah. Barley water is it's a new one for me. <laughs> Just room temperature, barley water. Let's say it's like all right, <laughs> all right though. That's some, that's one I need to try out. Yeah, we're having fun. Before we do though, before we head out, five quick questions to end the show today, Ben. Beginning with number one, what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Right now, I'm gonna say we have a lot of rum. We have a, a, a healthy amount of all the different. We have some agricole. We have plenty of um, English style and then not to sleep on the, the Spanish as well. So um, a pretty good balance of all of those. And it's kind of right in the middle of our back bar too. So you'll just notice this kind of bulge mm -hmm. <laughs> right in the middle <laughs> into the sides. We have a fair amount of gins too. And then if you look um, above our beer tabs, we actually have quite a selection of... Uh, American whiskeys. Nice. As well. Has Foursquare become the next Pappy yet? They said it was going to happen. Oh, man. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, love Foursquare. I think in time, though, I, everything's just going to be too expensive. So, unfortunately. But for, for now, I think get as much rum Buy as you can, you can at Drink a it while you reasonable can. price. Nice. All right, then. Question number two. Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Um, I'm going to say the tasting straw. I think it's one of those things now where I'm not actually physically bartending as much. So not for want of like, I, I need something to do. <laughs> I need to taste these drinks. Um, but to actually know that the drinks that we're serving are of the correct proportions of everything. Um, I think it's very easy for human error, especially if you're making two or 300 cocktails a night. Um, more if you but combine all the drinks that have gone out by all the bartenders. So I think as a drink maker, it's important to be constantly tasting through everything, whether it's also maybe one of the ingredients um, wasn't made correctly, mm -hmm. one of the syrups. 
or maybe oh no you're you're using juice from two days ago taste that immediately mm -hmm. um yeah just to keep things tight and um to catch any of those mistakes before they are realized mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're just going around there going up to guests excuse me don't mind if i just pull a little <laughs> sample of your drink to you. i work here <laughs> um on that front are we going are, are you going metal straw with that yeah yeah we'll use the metal straws just for the reusable for the yeah yeah as well there's a way to do that hygienically. I'm just thinking about this. Yeah. Not to so, I mean, we have two separate uh, containers, one with clean, one with dirty. Once the, the dirty ones build up, then we soak those in a sanitizer that's in a, um, a pan and let those soak for a while, and then we can run those through the dishwasher. Nice. Mm -hmm. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? I want to say something to the effect of both easier said than done and um, very simple at the same time, um, which of course can be easier said than done. Um, but kind of just going into a shift with a mind that is present in what we're all kind of there to do, which is we're there as a team. We're there to make money, of course, but we're kind of there as representing our business and then our company at large as well. Um, so kind of leaving whatever it is, um, things that are happening that they don't need to necessarily enter the workplace. So just being present with your, your fellow workers, you know, creates a healthy, happy environment, um, which is great. makes it fun to go to work as opposed to being like, Oh, I don't know if this person's going to be in a good mood or not today. I don't want to. And then you're just already thinking negatively about that, but just kind of being a little selfless, I guess. It's one of the good things about being very busy in service. It's uh, <laughs> you have stuff going on in the in the outside world, in the real world. Yeah, it's a great distraction. It's one of the few opportunities to really get away from it all and just be in that in that zone. For sure. I mean, thing. yeah, it can just happen on its own, of course. But I think, yeah, that is the beauty of this uh, of the service industry. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I'm way too busy to be thinking about what's happening. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Uh, all right, second to last question, penultimate one here today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? If I could go back in time, is that a possibility as well? Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I guess I would like to go back to Boilermaker for one last hang. I just, I, I would, I would go there probably once a week or so, um, even after the pandemic, and it was just such a great spot I mean, the people that work there their drinks too they had an army navy on menu for a yeah. second there for a little bit yeah they had I, they had like a list of drinks on that was uh, painted on the window but just yeah the the spots they had great offerings but they it was just also a neighborhood spot it was an industry spot and it's just a place that i always just felt very comfortable and found myself wanting to be and it sucks that by the time i moved to right nearby there was when when they when they decided they had to close on down. But, you know, Super Bueno's great, too. Was going to say. Yeah. You got a great bar there, nearby anyway. Yeah. You know, continuing the legacy in a different way. Super Bueno is, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I urge people to get down there. All right, then, last question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I'd probably make a Sazerac. 
I think at first, of course, Army Navy. That's going to go down way too quick. Mm-hmm. I think one of the first drinks that I had that really left an impression on me was the Sazerac and was at uh, Maison Premier. And just that whole experience of like it's when you're when you're when you have one that's that's what you're doing so it's it's up there with one of my favorite drinks as well and i know that i can make it last if i need to mm-hmm. um so something that has that um durability but also where it's not i'm just gonna throw it back and it'll be gone i'm gonna be able to savor it <laughs> how do you feel about serving sazeracs up uh i've never encountered it in the many like botched Sazeracs that I've received in my life, I've never seen one that was served up and not down. What do you think? I, I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, I arrived there via the Boulevardier, which, you know, certain folks, um, first one that comes to mind, Toby Cicchini likes to serve his Boulevardier that way. Yeah. You know, we're not, we don't have any ice in the equation. So I'm like, why not? Yeah. I don't know. Something to me about having a drink down. I, maybe it's just the, the stemware. Something about the stemware I enjoy that, like Cooper holding on to sure. something like that, especially if there's no ice, not wanting to warm the glass. I think, I mean, there's something to the the lineage of it all being like in in the old fashioned category. But I guess one could say I've had the Long Island Bar um, Boulevardier and it's great served up. I've had that recipe served in on the rocks too. Yeah, um, and it's you know it's equally great. But I think. I think maybe for the Sazerac and what, I mean, the history of that is you've already covered it in your show, but it still (laughs) goes on and on and on, like what actually um, happened. What is this recipe? But I think, I think it could go either, either way, but I I never actually thought about it. I only ever thought about it. Like, please don't put ice in this. And yeah. Try it. Try it when you're, uh, you're pulling out the old chartreuse vegetables. Yeah, for the, it's like going to be a long night. I, I, <laughs> I do wonder if it, the only thing argument against it is is the uh, the aromatic component and the profile of that, and whether that becomes too intense with the absinthe or I don't know. I don't know because you have absinthe rinses on other drinks served up. So yeah, I who mean, knows? Maybe just a, a a preference thing. Anyway, we digress, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been I, great. I've never met as big a fan of the Army and Navy, and we love to see it. We love you to never hear will. it. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to convert the world. No, we're, we're, we're on it now. Just get ready for influx of orders. And hey, good luck with that new spec over there at Porch Night. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, 
who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.